Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 94, the one about new aircraft engines, AI-changing digital marketing, content marketing myths, and the banshees of Inishirin. Let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, I'm on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing Finance Podcast and the author of Cats, Mats, and Marketing Plans. I give you, Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, I'm also joined by a man who is also on a mission, this time to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome, all the way from La France, Monsieur <laughs> Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much. And you join me from Scotland, a true international production. Thank you, everyone. This is episode 94, Roger. Absolutely. We every couple of weeks we edge closer <laughs> to the magic 100. And I think at some point we're going to have to start discussing what we're going to do to celebrate our hundredth episode. Absolutely. Um Thank you for the thank yous, by the way, everyone. You know, know that we've been publishing the long form content as well as highlighting the segments as a new way of you know, helping you understand what the show is all about. We had great fun last week as well, doing a kind of a recap on the origin of Two Gigs Martin podcast and letting you know which segments should be of interest to you. This week, once again, absolutely packed full with great insight, fascinating kind of content, all the way to film marketing. You've done it again, Roger. What a fine selection. Yes, we are going to be talking about a film which, on the face of it, I didn't think I was going to enjoy Pascal. And we'll get to why and how I, I was completely confounded by the fact that I thought it was absolutely excellent. We are going to be talking about the Banshees of Inishirin. Um, but we've got a lot to get through before we get to the Banshees. Absolutely. So let's begin with In the News. According to the Variety magazine, the AMC cinema chain is introducing a three-tier pricing model. Seats in the front row will be at a lower price, while seats in the middle of the theatre will be more expensive. Okay, well, Meta is turning to billboard advertising to share advice on how to use WhatsApp, reminding everyone that their aim is to connect a global audience, both visually and verbally, regardless of age, location, accessibility, bandwidth or literacy. In a private briefing with the press, Microsoft CEO Satala Nadala announced the rollout of ChatGTP-powered version of the Edge browser and Bing search engine using the next-generation OpenAI language model Prometheus. Okay, then we'll talk about this in a moment, but according to a survey by Storyblock, 47% of businesses are embarrassed by their websites. 92% think that their website poor user experience is costing them sales, and most lose three and a half hours a week to fixing errors on their sites. The Walt Disney Company celebrated his 100th anniversary with a series of immersive events at Disney parks and resorts, as well as major cities around the globe, including the wonder of friendship experience in London. And Legos launched the one set to rule them all, a 60-second uh -huh. film telling the story of a couple who purchased a Rivendell Lego set to complete together. Ah, oh. And the tables are turning on social media influences with the brand new trend de-influencing. In other words, content creators encouraging people not to buy or not to use something while expo exposing the influencer's lack of credibility or honesty. 
And we called it on this show. Heinz <laughs> has expanded its product range with bean-based burgers with a Z, nuggets with a Z, and beans balls with a Z. Almost too good to be true, Roger. Well, in fact, you could say they are unbelievable, <laughs> according to the adverts playing the catchy song Unbelievable by EMF. Ah, fantastic. There's something about burgers and nuggets, isn't there? <laughs> I think there's but, a hotel chain called Sleeps as well, isn't there? <laughs> I, I do believe so. But, uh, do you know, Heinz... They do like to have fun with advertising and their brand. And they've been featured in the news because, as a reminder, uh, the heart of Two Geeks and Martin podcast is looking for inspiration, mm -hmm. ideas for your next campaign. Now, normally we pick some of the news, not all, but this is going to be so hard. So I'm going to quickly go through most of them, if you don't mind, Roger, okay, and get okay. your reaction on AMC Cinema with their three-tier pricing model. Uh, I, 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 initially, I didn't really understand this when I when I was reading it out and thinking, if I go to the cinema, which isn't very often these days, I have two mm. choices at the Odeon. I have a normal seat or they have these premium seats. Now, the premium seats are usually a bit bigger, so they're about a, I don't know, a couple of inches wider and there's a bit more legroom, and they are always at the back. So I'm sort of used to paying more for not sitting at the front and i always choose not to sit at the front because obviously you have that sort of i don't want to be looking directly upwards and the screen is actually a little bit too big so i will always gravitate towards the back um but this is this is just a little bit weird i'm not sure why they would do that i can understand maybe the viewing isn't as good at the front so it, it deserves to be a little bit cheaper but do what odeon do give you give the um people something extra to encourage them to buy the seats further back by making them bigger or making them armchairs or or sofas or something, rather than just saying, if you sit at the front, it's this, and if you sit further back, it's more expensive just because of the distance from the screen. I just think it's a complicated message. Yeah. And, and and there's been some backlash, you would expect, people saying uh, it's like, you know, what the airline industry went through for for a while, then they gave it up. Uh, people saying, oh, are you, are you gone to, have you gone to the Elon Musk School of Marketing? <laughs> well, you have different tiers, you're paying for different things. So uh, we, we shall see. But, uh, but I think for me, the, the, the rationale doesn't stack up, you know, because on occasion, being on the front row for maybe a 3D production projection is absolutely fine. Um, very briefly, when I read the, the, the news about Meta advertising on billboards for WhatsApp, I was thinking, that's a strange thing. But then very quickly, you're going to go, well, of course, um, if you want to capture the the attention and the imagination of a new audience, not already on WhatsApp and not online, you've got to go where the audience is. That's something that you repeat time and time again on this show. So billboarding makes sense. And of course, um, playing back to people your your mission statement, I think it's, it's a very, very good, good way to go about it. So I want to ask you, therefore, your reaction about an AI-powered search engine. So. <laughs> Um, Bing, Microsoft is doing it. Google uh, have announced a Bard, which is their version, and Yahoo is saying they're going to make a comeback thanks to an open AI powered, you know, search engine. And the whole idea being, you get more than just a list of websites; you're going to get fully kind of uh, formulated answers and and statements. Oh, Pascal, I could go on about this for the whole episode. I mean. <laughs> Isn't it funny how in the marketing industry, one of the things that I, I suppose, this is one of the reasons why marketing gets a bad reputation, to be honest. We always jump onto these big sort of um, trends, don't we? And completely go over the top about it. Now, last year, everyone was going on about 
NFTs and NFTs were the next big thing and all of those NFT people were writing courses on how to become F NFT experts and all their NFT gurus then all the NFT gurus became metaverse experts didn't they and now all of those same people have reinvented themselves as chat GTP gurus and they're selling chat GTP courses so naturally they're all getting on the bandwagon but you know again that all of this stuff is still in its early stages it's still in its formative stages and and what these search engines are about to inflict upon us is a worldwide beta test isn't it um and fine maybe the ultimate react the ultimate end game will be something that we can all use and we can all um celebrate and it will work but i sometimes think you know just stop this fix it in the background make it work in mm. the background and then give it to us when it's proven itself rather than just oh my goodness we've got to you know chat gt i mean crikey it was literally november when we all started talking about chat gtp <laughs> wasn't it none of us had heard of it before then and now all of a sudden the whole world is going on about chat gtp and maybe in six months time the next thing will come along <laughs> and, and just as a complete and utter aside it's interesting they're calling it the prometheus I know. Langu language is a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know how in the UK they now name storms. Well, and and and, and also that no, no, that was it. The, there was a new variant of the COVID vaccine, uh, the COVID um, uh, virus flying around before Christmas, and it was called the Kraken variant. The Kraken variant. I mean, yet that conjures up in images of this multi-tentacle monster, doesn't it, devouring ships? And I think, why didn't you just call it the Fluffy Kitten variant? Because none of the Daily Mail or the Sun or anything would have put front page like Fluffy Kitten virus ravages across the UK, but give it a name like Kraken, and you're just playing into the you know, into the uh, the spin and the hype. So, yeah, co don't call it Prometheus. Call it Dave or something like that. <laughs> I don't think Bard is any better from Google, but uh, <laughs> I, I was. I remember I passed from the sequel pitch. You know, we also on a, a great podcast on movies saying. Don't those people go to the movies? Do they not know about <laughs> Prometheus and and the storyline? And and of course, they stick to to the horror genre. I mean, for me, it, it almost also feels a little like false news because search engine have been using machine learning and AI for a very long time. I mean, we had some incredible uh, demonstrations of the power of machine learning and AI from the Google during their conferences. Um, the two examples that to this day I, I still find cruelly moving was uh, a gentleman who had um, a stroke and therefore his speech uh, had, had been impaired, but AI could actually understand him and translate in in, a, um, in let's say proper English, if I may use a term very clumsily, to his family members, you know. So so this is the kind of things that uh, is exciting about AI. And there was a journalist on BBC that said, "No, all this chat GPT and more is a side circus." <laughs> actually, uh, just you know, to keep the media happy and people just like to gobble up headlines, because actually the real use of AI is far far more exciting for, for the future, particularly when you have an aging population. So for me, uh, from a marketing point of view, what what I want to keep watching brief on is the impact of course on seo 
and ranking on the search engine. Because if you get a future where Yahoo, Bing, and Google present the information in a more conversational manner without necessarily listing, you see what I mean? Without mm. necessarily listing the web pages or the source, then I think it's going to be something to watch out for. And Google has done that already, where they call their knowledge box, you know, where you ask a questions and you have answers. If you look and take the trouble to look, you could see where it's coming from, but there is no click through. So we talked about the zero click in our search engine um, as well. But we'll talk about this again. I want to then jump straight into, if that's okay with you, the de-influencing trend. <laughs> you and I called it, we called it a year, two years ago, maybe, when we said, you know, because of the history of the internet and the history of digital marketing, this is not going to end well. And so it has begun. But interestingly, not from the brand, from the, the, the members of those communities themselves. Yeah, I mean, we did call it, Pascal. And, mm -hmm. and again, it's one of those trends, isn't it? that sometimes gives marketers like us, unfortunately, a bad name. You know, I'm sure we know there are some good influencers out there who do know what they're talking about and do make a positive contribution to marketing strategy. But there are also quite a lot, unfortunately, of charlatans out there. And and I guess that it's the, if this is happening and, in, the, and influencers are becoming less influential, it's actually the ones that were good that are going to, be the ones that are going to be hit unfairly so mm. they've been brought down by you know the bad apples in the in the box uh, and it's a shame but we did call it because unfortunately there was a lot of um of poor stuff going on we we actually recommended you know humbly to people who are in the business of working on social media to change the labeling to being a journalist to being a researcher to being mm, a critique mm. to have a real profession assigned to it because i think for me influence as a term is also very tricky because you can have negative influence you could also coerce people and so on and what is interesting about those who are online recommending that you know life is much simpler it's not about buying what is being promoted so what they're doing they are uh, buying the products recommended by those influencers and if it's rubbish or if it's um not as good as or doesn't have the impact that they say they do they they record a statement to that to that point mm -hmm. and there's been many influencers have had to either apologize or come clean to say yeah you're right i didn't believe in the product myself but i was being paid so i went ahead with it so i think there's going to be a phase of chaos for quite some time and then it's going to settle but i think well who said it am i right in thinking maybe gary even the Chuck? marketers spoil everything yes, so they do. you know they do indeed <laughs> and i want to close down this uh, in the news kind of uh, review with the walt disney 100 years i, I even i was surprised i should have known but i was surprised that you know this is a brand that's been with us for such a long time yeah that i mean it's it's remarkable isn't it how a fixture of modern life it is especially since disney plus came along and, and the, the film that we are reviewing later on in uh, two geeks in the marketing podcast right, i watched yeah. it on on disney plus so there you go uh, but you know i have only ever been to one disneyland and it was the original one in los angeles wow. um, anaheim in um, los angeles and yeah i mean it's a remarkably magical place and, and it deserves all the attention and all the hype that it gets. It's the sort of place you can go to to become a child again. Um, and, and and especially if you've got children, to go to somewhere like Disney World, Disneyland is just an incredible experience. Indeed. And I mean, I've enjoyed, you know, the uh, the series on Disney plus the um, Imagineers, you know, that we're, we're tracing the history from Walt Disney all the way to today. 
And so what what they've gone ahead with is uh, 100 Years of Wonder. And what they're doing through the parks, but also through the cities, every city will have a theme. So in the case of of London, we have a friendship experience, but every um, major city in the world will have a different theme. And they are offering an immersive experience, but a real one, that is to say it's a physical um, element. So there's no wearing goggles and going to the metaverse just yet, although I'm sure they would explore that. Um, but for me, it's, it's back to this idea of, on one hand, there is indeed are there people saying Disney is, is evil, making too much money, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, maybe. But in the other, you know, you've got to, you know, pay attention to this is the example people turn to for customer service, for brand positioning, for always never settling for the status quo and, and reinventing themselves and so on. And they've had highs and lows, like all brands. You would expect that, you know, the 100 years. And they are being impacted upon by all the market forces. And for me, if they are really putting the effort into, uh, I suppose, you know, I would like to think that this 100 years of wonder is the thank you to the audience, to essentially generations. I mean, you know, grandparents, parents, and children. Um, I think this could be an interesting uh, year to follow and see what they get up to in 2023. Absolutely great, all of these news items, Pascal, <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to say it was really hard to choose just a, a handful. So, But let's slow things down, if you don't mind, and let's move on to our next segment, the content spotlights. Now, in this segment, Roger and I surprise each other with a piece of content. It could be a podcast, an article, a video, anything that can help us really understand what it means to be a marketer in today's economy. So, Roger, what have you chosen for us this week? Well, this piece of content almost transcends into the uh, marketing tech and apps section as well, because okay. this is extremely tech heavy. Now, there it's a video on YouTube, and it's called Revolutionizing Flight, the Amazing Potential of the CFM rise engine now i've actually typed it here in my notes that it's on the youtube channel called mentor pilot but just as we were about to start i realized actually that it's on mentor pilots second channel which is actually called mentor now now this guy and i don't know his name i've tried to find his name out but he doesn't put his name actually on his channel this guy's mentor pilot channel has nearly got two million subscribers and his second channel has got nearly 200,000 subscribers. So, wow, he, he knows what he's talking about. As you would expect, he is actually an airline pilot, but he makes these videos as a side hustle. My goodness, 2 million people. And his videos are fascinating. Now, in Mentor Pilot, he mainly talks about things like um, uh, aircraft crash investigations. And, you know, there's a series on Sky um, called... Um, air crash investigations but this guy goes into it in absolutely geek level of detail and some of his videos are an hour long or more and they really are incredible but this was the one that caught my attention because i'm a bit of an aviation geek as you know and this just looks really fascinating so obviously when it, when we started flying in airliners we used to have great big propellers on the air on the airplanes powering them and those big propellers used to make a hell of a lot of noise but propellers can only go a certain speed i think the maximum speed a, a airliner powered by a propeller can go is about 300 miles an hour whereas an, an air, airliner with a jet engine can go 
500 to 600 miles an hour. And in the case of Concorde, obviously, it could go a lot faster, but we haven't got supersonic at the moment, unfortunately. But the interesting thing was, is that when jet engines were produced, they were obviously very, very noisy. And we don't like noise, do we? And there was all sorts of, um, how can we make these engines a lot quieter? And the way that over the years jet engines have become quieter is that they've made the, the fan blade within the engine bigger so that effectively the air coming off the fan effectively cocoons the noisy air coming out of the engine core and it it's a lot lot quieter and so some of these gigantic engines that you see on airplanes like the triple seven or the airbus a380 you know you you can stand two people on top of each other in the inlet of the engine and that's because the fan is so big but it's not that noisy because all that air is cocooning the the hot air coming out of the of the uh, core of the engine now what this guy is do, is is looking at is the next generation of jet engines is almost looking as if it's going to go back to having the fan blades of the engines actually uncovered in the in the same way as propellers were in the past and and actually most most turboprop jet um, engines these days are actually jet engines it's just that the propellers on the outside and this video basically goes into in astonishing detail as to how this will work and the you know the, the fact that, that if it's not uncovered does that mean that the airplane itself will have to be strengthened just in case one of the fan blades breaks off and comes crashing into the side of the plane but if they get this right it will make airliners even quieter than they are now it will also make them a lot more efficient for all sorts of complicated reasons that i haven't got time to go into in this content spotlight but watch the video because this guy goes into that detail uh, and it's probably we're probably talking between five to ten years away before we see these actually on airliners but this looks like it's the direction that we're going in and i just think it's it's fascinating that we've gone from nearly 100 years ago with propellers on the outside then being encased in a nacelle i guess a nacelle in the engine and now it looks like the future is these gigantic fans on the outside so check it out it is actually mentor now is the channel not mentor pilot but mentor pilot is well worth a look as well Mm, absolutely. And you know what was interesting? So looking for, for the key message or learning point, one is uh, when you have a passion for a subject matter and you will find a way to deliver the message in a way that would engage uh, an audience and find its audience. But also, you know, you and I look at what's happening in engineering, in uh, space travel, in software design, in all the subjects that feed into the imagination and the evolution of digital marketing and customer engagement. And I'm listening to you thinking, all right, so it is okay to go back to something that we used to do, but improve upon it based, of course, learning the last few decades. And in fact, that might give me an interesting segue into you know, my selection for the, uh, the, the the content spotlight. So it found me, once again, using the Flipboard uh, mobile app that I've got. And I've chosen um, a, an article from Forbes.com, and the title is at follows. Will artificial intelligence change the world of digital marketing forever? And I wanted to kind of, I chose that one, uh, albeit it found me as well through the app, because I want you and I to have a conversation to kind of almost set the tone and, and 
that position clearly to our audience. Now, this was written by Matteo Pitaluga, and as you may guess from the name, is Italian, and is a member of the Forbes Council, a digital marketing expert and author. He's, got, he's on a mission to ask people to go all in with their digital marketing, which I think is brilliant, and is a founder of Marketing Genius, a training platform for professionals in Italian language. And it's all to do the trigger you know, of his thinking and the exploration was, of course, chat GPT in November, October. And what he's done is for the last three months, he's tested um, AI applications and asked some of the question of, could this reduce or simplify my work as a digital marketer, as entrepreneur, and so on? And because, you know, we need to, to understand that because ultimately it's not going to go away. I think it's also about malpractice, knowing what they could look like. It is also, for me, and that's not something Matteo is expressing, but I think it's implicit, there's going to be claim, and I'm I'm addressing now our viewers and listeners, there's going to be claim out there that a solution is powered by AI, and this will be a false claim. Because, you know, when you talk about AI, it's actually not the same as machine learning. It's not the same as, you know, software formulas like algorithm and so on. It is something very, very specific. So it begins the article, want to set the scene, with defining AI. You've got to be clear about what you mean by artificial intelligence. And once it's done so, it's looking at really four areas that would be impacted upon quite swiftly with regard to digital marketing. Now, the first one, We've seen examples of good, bad, and ugly of the automated customer support and sales team, you know, the chatbots and and more. Number two, content creation from the written word to images and videos and more. Number three, which I think is fascinating, website creation. And Wix has been one of the many exploring the idea of you, you write a brief online, filling a form, and then you get a website as a result of that, which I think is interesting. And then number five, advertising optimization. So you mentioned one of your um, connections on the creator shoutouts who'd done the, the A-B testing of adverts creating by AI, adverts creating by themselves, and w- what is the difference? And so it's fascinating to read, and it's one of those that I think every single organization, no matter the size, should read, print out, have a discussion about the impact, because that's going to have a, quite an impact on skills development and training, the use of AI-powered solution, but a real one, but also... What do you do with individuals whose role are going to be essentially superseded, you know, by, by the platform? But his closing statement is interesting to me. So AI can assist in tasks such as data analysis, automation, and more, but it still requires human input and strategic guidance to be truly effective. No, this is very, very important. And again, we've been we've been saying this for a while now, haven't we, Pascal? If you give in and let this stuff take over to a certain extent we will be hit with a huge tsunami of mediocrity but if as you say you maintain control of the strategy and you make sure that you put your individual input into it keep it human make it stand out then yes it's a good synergy and i very very rarely use the word synergy because it's one of those marketing buzzwords (laughs) but it is a good synergy but if you let it just rule then it will become mediocre, and we do not want mediocrity. For me, there's two examples that I want to mention as a, as a warning. So website creation, I think, is going to be a very popular one. Um, you know, put a brief together, so begin. You know, you need to know how to do a brief. Perhaps you don't. Um, you're going to get a website um, presented to you, and you're going to go yeah or nay. 
The challenge, I would say, is but how do we then evolve web design and experience? Because all AI can do, I would argue, Roger, is repeat more or less what has already been done. You know, the 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 AI learns from current practices, but I don't think they have the imagination and that kind of human capacity to never be satisfied, you know, with the status quo. Um, we mentioned in content creators, you know, the uh, Philip Van Dusen giving us the trends with design, but that comes from, you know, the human imagination. I don't think we're in a position where something that is truly powered by AI can come up with something brand new that we're going to align with us in fashion and design and so on. So for me, my, my only hesitation is I can see the appeal to make one's life easier, but all you're going to get is essentially an okay average result, which is essentially the the, the, the kind of um, the summary of all the different websites design styles of the moment but what about next year and the year after you're still going to have real human input so yeah we need to keep an eye on it there will be jobs that will be a little different perhaps you know more tedious admin relating roles which means that within the organization individuals will be able to grow and progress in more interesting functions and activities all right. Well, listen, that was great because that gives me the perfect segue, this talk about engineering and artificial intelligence, to move on to our next segment, the marketing tech and apps. All right, Roger. So I love this segment because you always surprise me with a new discovery from the world of marketing, a tech, a bit of software, or sometimes a good, good methodology. So what have you got for us this week? Well, actually, we usually pick two things, don't we? But I've only picked one. But when you dig below the surface, there's a hell of a lot in it. Um, but we've also already talked about some of what I'm about to talk about. So it probably won't be as in-depth as uh, it might have been. Now, this is a massive, massive, massive update for Google Maps. And I've picked a particular article that talks about it and summarizes it really quite nicely. It's called tomsguide.com. And Google Maps just got a huge upgrade, and here's all the new features. So when I started looking through this, I thought, well, actually, is there really anything new going on here? But when you actually read into it, they've just layered on even more detail to make Google Maps in certain places in the world, not everywhere, but in certain places in the world, much more immersive and much more informative. And this is where they've made a great big play of what we've already talked about, Pascal, the integration of Google Bard which you've already mentioned, and that is Google's answer to chat G GTP. So this massive upgrade to Google Maps is incorporating that Google Bard um, into. Now, I can sort of, you know, you made the comment early on about, well, it might have a big effect on SEO, how this information is presented. But actually, I'm thinking if you're walking around a city and you're using your phone and you've got the phone lift, um, so that you can actually see the pop-up boxes saying where this restaurant is or where that restaurant is. It possibly makes sense for it to be a more chatty version of the information that you're getting given back. And perhaps this is one example where a chat GTP Google Bard thing might actually work. But going through it very, very quickly, we've got a new version of the immersive view of Google Maps, which we, we've already had to a certain extent, but this is now going to be even deeper. So not only have you got the 3D versions of specific places, but they're actually going to start overlaying 
real weather and real traffic and even how busy a place is. Now, uh, I don't know whether you've ever looked at uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. My my son is a massive fan of my, the latest version of Microsoft Flight Simulator. And that actually uses real-life data from the world to superimpose the current weather conditions of the mm. place that you're flying in. So quite literally, I could play Microsoft Flight Simulator, take off from Edinburgh Airport, and the weather in the game would be exactly the same as it is outside my window at this moment i mean and that's what they're bringing to the google maps so if you're actually in the place then you'll know what the weather's like but if you're looking on a computer or a phone and you're not actually in the place it will give you a proper representation of what the weather is like and what the traffic is like now at the moment this is only going to be available in los angeles san francisco new york london and tokyo but they are promising that it'll be available in amsterdam dublin florence venice in the coming months and it, it, it's just all about planning trips isn't it and, and once you get there helping you get about then the next layer down is once you're actually in the city or the place that you want to go to they're adding an just another layer of that um sort of virtual ar augmented reality as you're walking around so again you know it, it will even give you the detail of the inside of shops for example so if you're in a department store and you're wanting to find i don't know uh, men's fashions or ladies fashions and you, instead of just typing into google maps i want to go from edinburgh to london you can actually say i want to find women's fashions or men's fashions in the building that i'm actually in and it will guide you up the escalator or to the elevators or to the lifts <laughs> i mean it's just ridiculous um and the next layer down again is that they're starting to introduce a lot more support for electric vehicles and charging points. And obviously we know that a lot of people are now thinking about buying electric vehicles, but particularly in the UK, one of the downsides of electric vehicles is that they run out after a certain number of miles and it can be quite tricky unless you plan down to the absolute um, hmm. detail of, of certain distances you could end up stuck so the this google maps again will become much more interactive to help people with electric vehicles and again it's saying that all of this is being powered by the bard ai in the background and po possibly this is one of the areas where the chat gtp chatty version will actually work so that's your marketing tech and apps from me which is basically something you definitely knew about but maybe not quite the amount of detail that this, this latest version has. And what I think is interesting, and that's why we do this marketing tech and apps, is you've given us a forewarning. So mm -hmm. can we sit down? Can we plan ahead? Can we you know, investigate as well? I mean, you and I have spoken about Google My Business or Business Profile now. You know, uh, So the, there's that element of how can you exploit what is by far the most exciting and most invested in, uh, in platform from the Google ecosystem from a business point of view, then you've got to be a user. I've seen um, there's a town nearby called Saint-Nazaire, twinned with Sunderland in the UK. And when I was I was looking for actually a, a, a mobile phone shop, and 
the AR bit was also featured there and they could actually show me the way to it bef- from the car park to you know a couple of hundred meters away in advance so I could Im- imagine me walking and when I was walking if I, I felt essentially more reassured that I wasn't completely lost or finding fi- finding my way through I, I think I think it's exciting I think sometimes they take far too long because some of the things you mentioned they're now years ago you know the google io conference so sometimes people like me get really excited about this idea of finding your way around stores and then you have to wait three four years before it comes to existence yeah. but you know th- thanks very much for for the update uh, interestingly we've done this again mine is an update too yeah. so we don't talk to each other you know people know that we kind of research separately we add our kind of uh, information to the show notes and suddenly the the day of the recording that we discovered so I want to talk to you about Ecamm Live, the live streaming solution used by Mac users. So I must, of course, preface this that this is a Mac-only solution. But I think some of the, the information could help you maybe go back to all the others that you're not very fond of, you know, StreamYard, Restream, BeLive.tv, uh, Melon, you know, all the others that we mentioned on this show. Uh, so Ecamm Live has have released about a week or two ago a version 4 of their kind of desktop solution for for Mac and it's been really good. It was also supported by a five day challenge, so I think it's a great great little marketing tip and idea, and linked to a very vast bank of resources, YouTube uh, articles and so on for different learning preferences. In terms of the updates, so what they've released, which is probably late compared to their competitors, is multi-streaming to different destinations. But we can now use Ecamm Live to multi-stream to 10 different destinations, including, which I think is quite a coup, Instagram Live and Amazon Live, which I think is very, very interesting. What is lovely about the multi-streaming option they have a built-in broadband speed uh, check. So literally, as you go through your dashboard, because you used um, Restream, am I right, um, Roger? Yes. Yeah. So when you add destinations, you go, you know, the LinkedIn, Twitter, and so on, you have a little counter that tells you this is how much you're going to need in terms of connectivity, and this is how much you've got. And this lead, they've got a, a traffic light system. So if you're in the green, you're fine. If it's amber, it could get a little kind of uh, laggy. If it's red, you can't do it, remove some of the destinations. So I think that's very, very helpful. Um, one of the reasons I chose Ecamm Live is for their scenes creation. This is really tapping into you and I, our passion for film and video production. You can really put together some lovely scenes in advance, put the different guests in different parts of the screen. You can drag and drop. You can grab a corner and make a video. It's, you know, but what they've introduced in addition to the scenes is split video recordings. Now, in a past, if you had let's say three guests, you would get one video file with the split screen. So you and three guests, that's four uh, together. Now, not only are you going to get, you know, that master recording, but you're also going to get separate video files for each of the guests. So when you come to the editing, you can then move to maybe a, um, a close-up on just one individual who is talking and doing it that way. The scenes, they've also introduced something to brilliant. So normally what people would do, like me, you would have your your different scenes listed on the side and you've got to use the mouse and click on, you know, scene A and scene B and D, which are different kind of uh, orientation. They've introduced something called the randomizer. So literally you create your scenes in advance and almost like on TV, 
the the computer will just decide, oh, I'm going to move to this different uh, scene or to this one. So you are free as a host to do the hosting bit and no worries, no worries so much about changing the different scenes and so on. And, and there's more. I think the one that um, I've been super excited about that they've improved is what they've called the virtual microphone. So what you can do is prepare prepare some sound files in advance and play them as, as if you would play, let's say, a video. So you and I could be listening to, for example, uh, you know, a, a soundbite from the conference and react to it using the virtual microphone. There's so, so much they've done, but what they've done as well is, is made it much easier to have overlays, whether that's a, a background behind, if you like, the, the video uh, windows or in front of you in terms of lower thirds and so on. So in addition to Ecamm Live, I thought I would also recommend for all of you, no matter the live streaming platform you're using, a ways to improve the look and feel of your of your kind of live streaming with virtual backgrounds from a platform that Roger's mentioned before called freepick.com. But all I've done is I've put a hyperlink to go straight to the um, the shortlist of virtual backgrounds. And then when it comes to background music, I've come across actually a different platform altogether, which is specializing in live streaming kind of uh, free copyright free music called Creator Mix. And you've got the links in the show notes as well. Fantastic. I mean, one thing in the back of my mind is I wonder whether they'll ever launch a Windows version of Ecamm Live because it is getting better. And some of those features you just described, especially like the fact that it chooses the scenes, because as you know, on the few occasions that we've done a live broadcast and, and we've been using Restream, I've always got to have one eye and one <laughs> finger on I know. pressing the buttons. And, and that's distracting. Not only does it distract me from my thought process of reacting and talking to you but you've got to be making sure you press the buttons at the right place and it means that i take my eye off the camera and i start looking down and around and that can be distracting for the audience as well so i think that that is a really incredible feature for me from what you've described and whether we'll ever see a windows version or not i don't know but uh, it's certainly a, a, a massive upgrade pascal no, absolutely. So the message as well for you and I is to everyone, go back to your software solutions, go back to whatever you're using, send an email to customer service and say, can you give me a summary of the latest updates? Because there could be things you're missing on everything that you have on your phone or your computer. But as we've said before, Roger, none of this would be possible without the vision and determination of pioneers from the recent and distant past. It is time to move on to this week in history. In 1931, the original Dracula film starring Bela Lugosi as the titular vampire was released. Oh, that long ago. Well, in 1934, Nicholas Wirth is born in Winterhurst, Switzerland. He's best known as a computer scientist who invented the computer programming language called Pascal in <laughs> honor of the French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal. My goodness, I haven't thought about Pascal as a computer language for such a long time. In 1984, Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross and starring Kevin Bacon, Laurie Singer, John Lithgow, Chris Penn and many others is released. The title song by Kenny Loggins is nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, Golden Globes and the Grammys. Wow. Well, in 2005, YouTube internet site on which videos may be shared and viewed by others is launched in the US. And the co-founder, I remember vividly, was a 30-second video, Me at the Zoo. <laughs> it's actually quite staggering, isn't it, that YouTube is not yet 20 years old, um, mm. given how much 
content we consume or i at least i consume on youtube now i mean quite a lot of the content spotlights that we've done in almost 100 episodes of two geeks in a marketing podcast have been youtube videos and it's a number two search engine in the world in some um, yeah. circles and social group it's the number one for young people it's the de facto tv channel you know the parents are watching let's say normal tv they are upstairs in the kitchen watching youtube and yeah you know for the the content creators it's also created uh its own kind of economy but um for me what is interesting about, about youtube is that it was never invented originally for that Mm -hmm. You know, the aspiration actually was to, for it to be, be a dating website. Mm -hmm. So you would upload a video of yourself and then find, obviously, your life partners. And then within a the year, Google bought it. And, well, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> Crikey, it would, have been, it would have turned out a hell of a lot differently if it had stayed being a, a dating website. Yeah. I wanted to mention very briefly, because I chose it for obvious reasons, <laughs> this idea of Pascal, the computer language, and of course, the French mathematician Blaise Pascal. So um, when I was at um, school, um, I had this dictionary, and there was a section of the dictionary, which was about famous people. And I, I was convinced that the way to find your ancestors was to simply share the same name. So <laughs> <laughs> I opened the, you know, and literally find Blaise Pascal. And if you don't know the gentleman, go on Wikipedia, it's fascinating, fascinating contribution to the world of physics and, and maths as well. But I, I pretty much declare that I was a descendant of Blaise Pascal. <laughs> and that was the reason why I was good in, in math in particular. And I kind of, I kind of used that for forever, absolutely ever. So of course, then in years later, I think it was the 70s, wasn't it, or the 80s, when Pascal, the computer language, came along, I pretty much declared that I had a hand in the creation of, of, the, of, the, of the language. <laughs> and this little habit has carried on to, to the day where when uh, Pedro Pascal, you know, the actor who played the Mandalorian, became famous thanks to that TV series. I mean, he was known before that, but he had to be a real movie fan to spot him. So when The Mandalorian came along, I told my nephew that uh, Pedro Pascal and I were related, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're going to, you know, they're only five and seven at the moment, so they're not, they're not quite there, but I'm sure I'm going to get found out very, very quickly. That's really funny. That's really funny. There was another. I remember. I, mean, I remember talking about Pascal, the, the uh, programming language, when I was at school. Um, and there was another language which was called COBOL. I think. Was there, was yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. COBOL. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether that had that had similar origins. But uh, yeah, Pascal and COBOL was that sort of elite um, layer of computer programming when most of us were just loading basic with a tape cassette deck <laughs> and what was interesting about uh, pascal um which is no longer used but it was the origin of a structured uh, programming language you know mm. there was a high level of clarity uh, it was actually once you understood you know, the different command it was designed to be simple as well so that mm. people can then let their imagination go and Nicholas Wirtz, I mean, he contributed to all the other ones that, that we know today. But um, it was good fun because when at the um, local university, there was manual to learn how to program Pascal. It was literally Pascal was written in big. So on occasion, <laughs> I would just walk around the library holding the book and kind of making up stories about, you know, whatever kind of uh, lie we come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your goal now, your challenge is to find maybe something relating to a Roger or to a Edwards yeah. for, for the next uh, This Week in History. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for this uh, allowing us for a bit, a bit of a lighthearted moment before we go back into the present with our creators' shout-outs. Okay, Roger, so whose work have you chosen to celebrate today? Okay, Pascal. Now, one of my favourite books of all time is Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, uh, which, of course, um, also produced two film versions of that book um, mm. about 20 or 30 years apart, neither of which I have ever thought have actually lived up to the absolute and utter horror that the book actually conjures up in your mind pet cemetery is just one of those books which you read it and your imagination just takes over and i can still remember being probably about 15 16 reading pet cemetery and the moment when you realize where the plot is going i can remember feeling mm. you know the hackles rising on the back of my neck it's just that and you'll never ever get that again and you don't really get it from the films but i remember that moment reading the book thinking oh my god i know what's going to happen and i can't believe that stephen king has even thought of this now i came across this guy on youtube it's called mike's book reviews and he has done this review of pet cemetery which probably for the first time since I read it all those years ago, he basically says exactly what I've been thinking all these years about Pet Cemetery. And the, the, the title of this video is Stephen King captures grief in a way that no other author has been able to. And that really made me realize that yes, Pet Cemetery is a horrific book. It's a basically a horror story, obviously. And the premise, as I've said, once you once you get to that point where you realize where the, the plot's going you can't quite believe how horrible it's going to get but it took me watching this video by mike to realize that actually what the book is about is how to deal with grief because it's mm. about losing it's about losing a child it's about losing a loved one and this guy just sums up everything that's good about the book pet cemetery to the extent that I've recently read it again, and it still stacks up. I still don't think they'll ever be able to create a film that does it just does it justice. I think the original wasn't too bad, but you know they still they just can't conjure up the horror of the actual book. So, Mike, thank you. I will now be um, looking at some of the other books that you've reviewed in in astonishing detail, but this one to me just sums up. This is one of the best books, best horror books that's ever been written. Oh, thank you very much. Perfect, perfect selection. So for me, today I want to give Joanne de Lazale a shout-out. She's the digital and content marketing specialist. She's also the author of a recent article, B2B Content Marketing Myths Busted. And I love when Joanne writes an article because it's always well-considered. She doesn't kind of bombard you with lots of information. So when she publishes something, you know they need to be paying attention. And what she's arguing is that despite the fact that content marketing has been around for over a decade now as, as a label, although you could argue the practice has started from the moment we wanted to advertise you know, products to, to other kind of customers and prospects, she's saying that there seems to be some myths that are sticking around a bit longer than they, that they ought to. So she's created an article to look at them again, but also to um, kind of reverse the trend by saying, maybe um, this is what we should be talking about more, as opposed to repeating those those myths. Uh, and some of them are, 
I have sympathy with the fact that people would say, for example, you need a huge audience to attract new business. You know, one of the myths that she wants to bust. Um, LinkedIn is for job hunting. Twitter is for sounding off. The best content will naturally rise to the top, if only. Your products and services is basically for everyone. No. Good marketing software can overcome poor content. <laughs> and your target clients are suspects. I hate that term, prospects and leads. And so she goes on. So I'm just giving you a bit of a, a bit of a teaser to prime you to kind of understand that, you know, when those articles are crafted by Joanne, they are well considered, they are well researched, and they are born out of her experience, first time experience of talking to customers and other clients that she has in different sectors. So it's worthwhile reading it, having a good smile at the, the myths that, of course, you and I and many others will know. But are we doing enough to actually share the truth about what content marketing is all about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those myths, it, it, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think you keep having to bust these myths mm. because they persist. You know, it, it, a, lot, a lot of the time, you know, we move on to the next piece of content because we're always wanting to create more. But sometimes you know that it takes a long time to get people to change their viewpoint. And sometimes you do have to go back again to effectively rewrite the way people feel. And no doubt in five years' time, John might be able to write the same article. And I guess, I guess at least 80% of those myths will still be myths and they will or not have been busted no absolutely and, and maybe that's a reminder for all of us that if you have a choose a discipline like marketing in particular you've got to understand that throughout your career you'll have to remind people about its true contribution mm. to business success mm. you'll have to remind people about avoid you know the the new shiny objects and all the other things and, and i think john is right you know sometimes it is worthwhile going back to something that maybe was tackled seemingly five or ten years ago <laughs> yeah Hmm. Wow. Well, we have reached our sixth and final segment for Two Geeks of Marketing podcast, Film Marketing, just after this. Okay, Roger, so it was your time to select the film for film marketing, The Banshees of Inisherin, an award-winning film. Now we can say this and be nominated for so many uh, again. Let's watch the trailer. Harlem's Sonny Larry. Didn't you and he used to be the best of friends? We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You didn't like me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's done, Siobhan. But he's always been done. The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey's shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey's shite. It was me pony's shite, which shows how much you were listening. If you don't stop talking to me... Colin! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them. And I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse comes to worse, you can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet ya. Going back to your own gang now, Polly. I'm talking to me! 
Quiet! Why aren't you talking to Parrot no more? That wouldn't be a sin, though, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yet we all remember the music of the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. Call it quits. We call it the start. Wow! I <laughs> saw this two days ago, right? And I and I've been thinking about it ever since. I mean, like I saw somebody writing. I see on, on the official Twitter um, account for the Banshees of Inisherin. It will find your way into your heart and your head and will stay there for a very long time. Do you know, Pascal, this is such a good film, but when I originally saw it pop up on um, Disney+, Plus, I didn't really know much about it. I watched the trailer and thought, I'm not sure I'll enjoy this, um, but it has an amazing ability to just be incredibly compelling. It sucks you in. And the time just completely flew by. I mean, it, it's not an action-packed film. You know, it's quite a sedate pace. Um, it doesn't travel around the world. The location, although stunning, the, the, the location is stunning. It's in quite a compact location. It's on a small island, off-island. And it's very, very funny. Um, and there are certain elements of the storyline as well, which are absolutely tragic but also really quite sad as well there's a storyline about a pony which is as as pet lovers we 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 just found was was really sad but just the way they handled it was very delicate and lovely i think you might find if i may use the the tone of the the film it was a fucking donkey ah, <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> pony donkey whatever and 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 again that the the acting was superb so i came out of it thinking I didn't expect to enjoy this film, and yet it turns out to be one of the best I've seen for a long time, which is really weird, isn't it, Pascal? Did you get a similar sort of feeling? Yeah, well, so I became aware of its existence, I think, late last year, you know, um, but then there were, I think we, there was no aspiration they would ever be shown at the cinema. I kind of, you know, forgot about it. And I thought, wow, it would be so good to see Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson again together. Um, and then it appeared, uh, I think, well, of, of course, of the denomination, then the, winning the award, the, the Golden Globes and so on, which we'll come back to. So it appeared on Disney+. Plus. I watched it, and my intention was to watch half because I was tired that evening, and I watched all of it. And as I said, all I've been doing is think about the movie, think about the messages, think about, you know, the, the stories, but the, the subtext uh, and so on. But also, I had completely forgotten that the director was um, is... Martin McDonough. And you and I literally almost two years to the day reviewed three billboards outside Ebbing, uh -huh. Missouri, which was one of our longest reviews. So I think this one's going to be the same. And for me, I would agree. I was laughing out loud at some of the, the comedy, but also I was heartbroken at the moment, but also on occasion completely thrown by 
some of the the the, the, the horror. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, we've not agreed on the green room whether we're going to talk more about the film and avoid spoilers. But <laughs> to me, um, I realise what it was as a as an experience thanks to the music and. And when the music kind of uh, you know, transports you into that universe, I realize, ah, right, we are watching essentially a dark fairy tale. This is Brothers Grimm territory. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I was, I would say, a little happier with because there was moments when you go, this is going too far. I, I'm, I'm, you know, this is upsetting me. You know? <laughs> and, and then you realize that, oh, I see. We, we are literally in a, um, I think, a fictional universe where you've got those characters on this island who are almost observing from a distance, you know, this Irish Civil War conflict taking place, but they are almost protected from it. Mm. And they themselves having to deal with some form of conflict where one uh, friend, played by Brian Gleeson, Colin, decides that he wants to change his life and declares to his best friend that and you know, we assume that they've known each other for a very long time on the island that they can no longer be friends that's Colin Farrell playing the role of a Perrick and then you're transported into you're right it's it's enchanting that is to say you lose track of time you lose track of everything you are completely taken by that universe and and what happens in the story is effect, effectively it's a metaphor isn't it for the Irish Civil War that's happening across the across the sea, um, and it sort of highlights the futility mm. of that civil war um, in the story that is told. So, from that point of view, you know, it, it acts as you say as a fairy tale, but it is also quite a quite a deep social comment on you know quite a, a, a nasty period in in irish history obviously completely um, so so it works on so many levels and as I you know, said, it's it, just it, incredible it, it's funny it's funny the music is great uh and and i think I, I came across one bit that said you know the the director was very keen to avoid that sort of cliche mm. irish sort of folk music that you often get in in irish um <laughs> focused films um you know the music was was absolutely on point um, and we'll talk about how maybe they blew that in one in the second trailer by using that sort of cliche Irish music. But um, again, the, the the partnership of of, of Corinne Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, you know, in Bruges is one of my favourite films. That was the first time they came together, and, mm. and their chemistry just works just as well <laughs> here. It's fantastic. Um, so so yeah, it's one of those films that sort of didn't know anything about it almost didn't watch it because I thought, you know, this is just going to be a really boring film um, set on an island. And yet, wow, turns out to be absolutely stellar. For me, it was also so that they had everything right. You know, the, 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 they were determined, because when you watched the interview sometime and, and behind the scenes stuff, they were determined to make a beautiful film at all levels in terms of the sound, in terms of the the landscape. I have to tell you, I had little pangs of nostalgia because <laughs> those green hills, you know, you and I know them well from Canadarum to Northumbria to your part of Scotland, all the way, of course, to 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 the west and you know, to, towards Ireland, it was just stunning. Even when it was raining, mm-hmm. even when it was cloudy, it was it, it was absolutely stunning. And we'll talk about how you can make advantage of that. And can I just say, um, 
we, we spoke about awards uh, a moment ago, but I think uh, Kerry Condon, who played um, Grant Farrell's sister character, Siobhan, she deserves as well uh, an amazing <laughs> accolade because her character was just incredible. And she was pretty much the voice of reason in, in the chaos that ensued following Com's declaration they didn't want to be friends anymore. Yeah, absolutely. S- mega, mega acting. Now, from a marketing point of view, Pascal, I actually found this one quite a hard one to do research for because there isn't actually a great deal out there. Um, You know, in the past, when we've looked at different films, you can often find somebody will have written an article about the marketing of Mm. whatever it was, Mission Impossible or some of the other films that we've, we've reviewed, Die Hard or whatever it is. But it was very difficult not only to find the exact marketing tactics that they've used for this film but actually to find anybody talking about the marketing at all and and again it's sort of to me testament to the quality of the film that there wasn't actually much marketing going on for this and yet it has become so successful so my only conclusion can be and we'll look we'll have a look through the marketing tactics in a moment but there are, the marketing to me was pretty basic to be honest and yet the film has become so popular so i can only conclude that word of mouth has played a massive massive role here in elevating this film to the to the levels that it's got to now um it had its world premiere at the 79th venice international film festival on Mm -hmm. the 5th of september it got a 15 minute standing ovation um after the filming was done uh it was actually released theatrically um on the 21st of october it then went on streaming service on HBO Max on the 13th of December, and finally it appeared on Disney Plus on the 14th of December, and the Blu-ray came out on the 20th of December. So it wow. had less than two months actually in the theatres. And there's a bit of controversy about that. I think um, I, one article I have read that I did manage to find about the marketing suggested that actually Disney Plus potentially ruined theatrical run here by insisting upon putting it up so soon and it's not really the sort of film you would expect to find on disney plus let's face it you know it's not an avengers movie it's not action-packed it's not a cartoon it's not star wars it does it does sort of think what what is this film doing here and i'm, I'm pretty i'm really glad it was there but mm. it is you know what what is it actually doing here and i have read a few people who've criticized uh disney plus for effectively curtailing the theatrical run to a certain extent but but just very briefly from the marketing point of view pascal haven't really been able to come across much there was a there was a very interesting poster yeah um, mm-hmm. which is beautiful in its simplicity it's basically got the two characters stood on a beach with a dog between them and the strap line is everything was fine yesterday and even that one line you know you create so much feel and anticipation yeah, a very it? good strap line because i'm also thinking about you know how poignant that even the dog doesn't want to be friends with Colin yeah. Fowler, you know. <laughs> so so for me you know that's a hint because 
the, the simplicity, but the, the beauty um, is something that they, they've exploited throughout. Because yeah. when you look at the social media platforms, again, there's not a lot of posting going on, and one could be critical to say all they've done is play back, you know, the the the, the praises and the award and nominations. Mm-hmm. But actually, even in doing so, the, the photography is exquisite, and it's yeah. it it stays with you when you go on Twitter, Facebook, and and Instagram. You look at the images, and they are beautiful, just like the film is. Yeah, and the poster itself, you know, it has that image of the the sea, the mm. islands in the distance. You've got that moody sky with the clouds that you've already described there. Even the gloomy weather can look fantastic. So, so yeah, very basic but very um, evocative and emotional poster. Then, of course, the original trailer. Now, the original trailer is the one that I saw before we watched the film. And, and again, the, it sort of hints at the issues and 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 maybe the maybe the original trailer didn't hit the spot for me as much as it should have done because you know again it was touch and go as to whether i wanted to watch the film having seen the trailer but having seen the film i can now understand the power of the <laughs> yeah, trailer of course, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit it's a bit nuts isn't it now funnily enough though the second trailer again th- this this is just it just plays with your mind when i watched the second trailer having watched the film I think the second trailer is a misstep because what they do is they include some of that silly Irish folk music, the cliche Irish folk music, which actually doesn't appear in the film itself. The music in the film, as we've already said, is much better. Now, so from that reason, I think that the second trailer is much tighter editing. It focuses a bit, bit more in on the character and a bit more in the comedy. I think that if I'd seen the second trailer before I watched the film, it might have encouraged me to watch the film more. But having seen the film, uh, I no, actually think that the second trailer is a misstep. So isn't that weird? Isn't that because weird? For me, I was confused by the second trailer because I thought the music was almost like almost like a Western. You know, yes. it's very fast. Yes. It was the drums and so on. They also changed the calligraphy. If you if you noticed, it was like much thicker yellow typeface as yep. opposed to what we see on the poster and the first trailer. And then I kind of thought, ah, this may be, and, and you know, again, we need to ask maybe those who are involved. It feels more like uh, the international trailer, you know, the one trailer that fits them, that's, that fits them all. Um, because I think if you watch the second trailer and then go into the film, you're going to feel a little misled. And I think that the first one is truer to to, to, to the balancing act between, um, I think someone called it a tragic comedy or yeah. you know, or, or comedy drama. But um, yeah, I, I never thought of that. But yeah, I think you're right. If someone has seen the second trailer, they're going to be disappointed, I think, or, or feel like, hang on a minute, where is the music to begin with? Where is the tone of the second trailer in that film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, incredible. I hadn't re- he hadn't even really um, realized that until I started talking about it there. That argument just finally clicked into place as we were having <laughs> that conversation. That is beautiful. Um, I came across um, probably the probably the only um, digital marketing for this which a lot of this ended up on social media it's a company called digital media management which we've seen um, in film marketing before they created quite a few gifs and memes based around the uh, you've already said it, it's a fecking donkey um, or you're all fecking boring and a lot of these you know they are instantaneous just one-liners made into gifts made into stickers made into memes and again this is a very memeable film isn't it it's there's a lot of one-liners that you can capture and use and 
even though this is the only digital marketing that I could find, it is very effective because, it, again, it captures more of the, the humor of the film, I guess, rather than the, the tragedy. But again, it's quite it's it's quite interesting. The the one thing that I did think was fabulous is I came across Tourism Ireland's website. Now, this is a really good example of another company effectively riding off the back of the film and creating marketing for themselves. Now, in the past, in film marketing, Pascal, we've seen obviously product tie-ups with films like um, uh, the, the last James Bond film, No Time to Die, with the product placement and, and companies doing campaigns based upon their products appearing in the film. But Tourism Ireland effectively looked at this film and thought, wow, look at the scenery, look at how this showcases Ireland. So they created a behind-the-scenes video themselves. They didn't... And, uh, um, and apparently it cost them just over a thousand pounds, one thousand two hundred and thirty to be precise. And it created six million views on YouTube. So they really did capitalize on the beauty of yeah. Ireland evoked by this film to actually genuinely advertise Ireland as a tourism destination. And that's possibly one of the first examples we've come across in film marketing where a company has used that film to promote the other way around, if you like, because obviously Tourism Island have nothing to do with the actual film itself. They didn't do product placement, but they've used the film, obviously with permission, I'm sure, to then take it to the next level in terms of advertising their own services. Yeah, because typically it happens much later. It happens, you know, once the film has been released, and the, you could argue tourism board and the others play catch up yeah. with um, the film release. But they were literally recording and, and accessing footage from, um, you know, in twenty twenty one during the, the filming on the two islands that, that they've got there. Yeah. And um, what is interesting about the use of video? So, like you, I was thinking, you know, where is the, the marketing campaign? And and I'm wondering whether actually. Like the film, you know, a statement from that journalist saying it will find a way into your heart, into your into your head, and stay there. Whether this that's what they've chosen to do, which is they're going to let it, you know, they're going to play it cool, and it's going to find its way through word of mouth marketing. I mean, there's this countless numbers of interviews in the US and and Europe. This is obviously all the awards uh, seasons and so on. But when I was looking at the um, you know such light such light pictures, you know, which is mm -hmm. with the distributors uh, on the YouTube video, I, I spotted a, an interesting technique. So what what they've done, they, they have a thing about fifteen to sixteen videos uh, against a hashtag banshees. But what what they've done, which I thought was was nice, is on the YouTube thumbnail they've got very clear labels. They've got trailers, obviously two. They've got movie clips. And they've got featurettes, and it's written in, in kind of quite bold letters. And I thought, from the point of view, of quickly accessing you know, the, the kind of content format that you want, I thought it was interesting that they chose to do that. And there was nothing convoluted about it; it was just simply writing the words that it is. And they've included, of course, a copy of the kind of twenty-minute plus special from the ABC channel uh, on the red carpet. And if you haven't seen it, um, you and viewers and listeners, it's once you've seen the film, not before, because too many spoilers. 
you can hear from the directors, from the actors about you know the, the work, the characters, the development, so on, and obviously that they, they they had a blast filming this, the banshees of Inisherin. Yeah, and so so my conclusion, Pascal, is yeah, mm. very low key marketing campaign. You know, really not much more than just the trailer the poster, a little bit of social media digital GIF work going on. You know, as you said, not a massive social media campaign on Twitter, really. Um, yet this film has done remarkably well, won so so many awards. It just goes to show it a good film can win out. But I wanted to just get your opinion on this whole sort of, the, the sort of little bit of controversy in the background that Disney Plus effectively insisted and force that early release onto the streaming platform. And there has been criticism that this curtailed the cinema runtime and brought it was brought out on media far too early. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't have been having this conversation if it had been in the middle of the pandemic, of course, but things are almost back to normal now. Do you, do you think that that's right, or is that just the way it is now? It's in the a film is in the well, theatres for a couple of months, and then it's and it streams, and that's the way it is. I think so. I think um, it was maybe an experiment. I think the the fight is Disney owns, you know, Searchlight Pictures, who are also owned by you know a, a mother um, kind of um, a group of companies. Uh, it feels short, though. I will say when, when you were reading out the dates, you know, from the the first kind of um, event in September, it felt very, very, very tight. And I wonder, and I wonder, you know, so trying to look at the positive, is it a tactic to get lots and lots of people seeing it, to praise it, to essentially have more of a chance or more of a crack, as they say, uh, at the Oscars and 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 more. Um, maybe my prediction is that as it's going to continue to be nominated and win more um, kind of awards, it will go back to the screens. Interestingly, in France, where I live, it is being screened in two weeks' time. Ah, well, there yeah. you go. Mm. I wanted to ask you very briefly, I know that we're perhaps stretching the film marketing segment <laughs> a bit, but about the title, The Banshees of Inisherin, uh, because I've been thinking about it for days and days and days. Who are the Banshees? Ooh. What is the role of the old woman? Ooh. And what do you make of Siobhan, um, Corinne Farrell's sister, leaving the island as well? Mm, yes. Well, that's interesting now you've come to mention it. I mean, your original your original thought is it's the two blokes who are the Banshees. Mm. Um, and, you know, ban Banshees, could, to me, conjures up sort of um, chaos, doesn't it? And, and um, e evil, misguided evil, maybe. Uh, so the, from that point of view, their behaviour certainly fits the banshee. But then the old woman, yeah, she she could be that she could be the banshee. She she was almost always in the background, almost like mm. steering things or observing things. Um, and Siobhan leaving the island that may be the because the film was an entire metaphor for the, the civil war. Um, maybe she was a metaphor for just saying, you know, I'm out of here. This is mm. ridiculous. Uh, I can't handle this. You know, maybe may people who didn't, you know, didn't um, agree with Brexit might 
have decided, well, I'm going to go and live in France instead of um, staying in the UK. Um, Maybe it's a similar metaphor for that. I don't know, Pascal. I probably will have to think about that a little bit more. That's exactly what I've been doing for the last few days. And what is interesting, the the director said, you know, he himself, in terms of the way he works, because he comes from a stage background, production background before film, he leaves, even for himself as as the author, lots of doors open to possibilities. Mm. Um, For me, the music really took me into this world of dark fairy tale brothers Grimm, greek legends as well uh, and that kind of things and I, I kind of think that this is all to you know it's if it's a, if we go for the fairy tale um kind of um theme then all the inhabitants of the island are banshees mm. and only some will be able to leave it's almost like um, you know purgatory-esque <laughs> And the only one that can let you leave the island is the old lady, like the ferryman in in Hades for mm. the Greek legends. And, and of course, this could be completely uh, not the intention of the director, but his work is to make people talk about the movie. And we're going to be talking about this movie for a very, very long time, I guess. Not not just us, you know, but mm-hmm. critics as well as moviegoers and so on. I mean, you should see the number of podcasts and interviews online. I'm going to leave you with my favorite line of the whole movie <laughs> because I laughed so much when I, when I heard it. Uh, you may remember um, the, the scene when Siobhan, the sister, walks into the house and finds Porrick with a donkey in the house and she's complaining about it and he says to her i am not putting me donkey outside when i'm sad okay <laughs> and the way in which going forward delivers the line of you know because he's sad and he's got this little a pet donkey in the house i laughed so much because actually i was thinking one of the things that this character he plays does well is actually sometimes simplicity is always the best way to go in terms of life as well as work and so on. And Porrick has a simple life. He looks after his animals. He goes to the pub with his best friend, well, until he stops. And for me, if I had to go back um, to the film, the more I think about it, the more I think that Colin, played by Brendan Gleeson, is actually the um, character that is least likable because he imposes his fear of dying to poor Porrick, who right now is enjoying life very, very much so. And because of breaking that their friendship, Porrick's view on life in general uh, is impaired. So, But, you know, like I said, we could keep talking about this for a very, very long time. Did you have a favorite moment in the film? Um, I... I, I... I haven't really. Um, it, it's such a good one. I mean, I, I mean, I thought that the way they handled the donkey dying and mm. the sadness behind that was very effective. It's probably not my favourite part of it, but no. it's, very, it's certainly memorable. Everyone, once you've seen, <laughs> you know, the banshees of Inisherin, please let us know. You know, we're going to be kind of uh, struggling to maybe find the answers. Maybe there are so many out there. But this has been episode 94 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave comments in your places. Until the next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Roger Edwards.